I think that by now we have kind of gotten a feeling for the person that was the Apostle Paul. Um, it's for him all about his calling, not about himself. But it doesn't mean that Paul was not human and that he had, um, you know, ways in which he could speak very gently. Um, and as we see in this passage and in chapter, into chapter 12, um, a little bit already up to these, but here and there you get the sense that he's also kind of able to poke a little. <laughs> uh, uh, I would say that there's some outright sarcasm uh, in this passage too. So we're resuming our series on the on the uh, sermons on Second Corinthians, and, um, and and where are we at? Well, um, there are basically four charges that uh, they bring against um, the apostle, uh, and two of those are being uh, highlighted here in this passage. Uh, the first one is that these super apostles are suggesting to the Corinthians. Um, that Paul is not really a person to be respected. Uh, he's kind of weak. He acts bold when he writes you, but when you meet him in person, not very impressive. Um, by the way, I don't. I, I, you wonder if, if the word Paul, which which means literally etymologically small, puny. You know, was it a nickname perhaps, Little Paul, like Little Fritz? <laughs> compared to these other jokes, but, uh, but uh, Paul, not impressive. Um, so he's defending himself, but he's defending, more importantly, his ministry. And he does it out of pure motive. I think that's what you see in verse 2. Um, yes, you know, bear with me. There's a little sarcasm already there. Um, because they are very much able to bear with these other folks that are coming in to, from the outside to cause trouble. So bear with me too, he says. For I feel a little, I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. So Paul's compelling interest in writing this other letter yet. This might be the third letter, the second being lost, the lost letter. Uh, he is compelled to write them and to go into all this detail because he loves them. And not just a, a general sense of, of, of a pastoral love, but he uses the metaphor here of marriage. And he is um, viewing himself as though he were the father who has a daughter to be married. This person, in our terms, we say engaged. Uh, it's not the exact equivalent, I know, and you know that probably too. But uh, this person in Paul's time, in the Jewish context, was, as it were, already legally married. Uh, the consummation hadn't happened. But uh, this person is, 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 is married um, um, by this betrothment. And so this church is committed to a husband. And the, and the husband is Christ. 
So when something is happening in that relationship between the church of Corinth and her husband, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ, then Paul is very jealous to safeguard that purity. And that's the imagery that he uses then to say to these Corinthians, uh, my, my burden for you is that I would present you, as a father presents the daughter to this future husband, so I someday would, as it were, present you to uh, the, the groom, the, the husband of you, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, that, that kind of controlling thought, that jealousy, that, that paternal concern is what motivates Paul to write as he does in this, uh, in this section that we've read together. Uh, it's love, it's a jealous love that he has for the church's protection that prompts him to be going the extra mile, you could say, in uh, explaining why they need to stop listening to these people. Um, he's really uh, kind of uh, criticizing them, uh, isn't he? Um, so, the, first of all, the, the danger involved. Um, uh, the danger is basically a danger that you see on display in the Old Testament as well. If Israel is the, is the bride then to God the husband, uh, we see that people like uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah, the prophets, uh, and then Hosea, um, look at Hosea 2, 19 and 20 to get a specific example of this, that uh, you know, the prophet Hosea is indicting Israel for being unfaithful in this committed relationship that they are in by covenant. Um, and so, uh, you know, what are you doing, church, there in Corinth? Um, in our circles, I would say, carefully, conservative circles, uh, we seek to live up to and maintain high moral standards. But if you look more broadly into our society, you would almost have to really explain this to an audience where it is so common, back in Europe, where I'm from, and I would say very much so now in America as well, um, why can't you live together before marriage? It's almost something that needs to be explained, that there is this sense that, you know, that there is this, this purity involved on the male and the female, for that matter. And that you wait till the wedding day comes for having the intimate relations. But that was not so much a problem back then, 2,000 years ago, at least in the Jewish context, um, that made lots of sense to, its, to the audience. I don't know that there were so many, not even the majority of, of the believers in the church in Corinth, that they were of Jewish origin. But I have to assume that some of them were, and that some of those were open to these other super apostles that came from other places, some suggest from Jerusalem, to then bring this message that sounded so biblical, it sounded so pious and religious probably, and yet there was something very fundamentally wrong with it. Um, so Paul sees that. He knows that. 
And interestingly, he makes reference to Eve, doesn't he? He goes back to Eve and he says in verse 3, but I am afraid, he says, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. What did Eve do? She listened. She had an open ear. And if you read the words of the Apostle Paul uh, and, and some of these other translations that sort of bring more crisply to the surface the, 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 the ideas, the sentiments, the associations involved, uh, kind of like, you know, you, you, you're kind of uh, eager enough to listen to them, aren't you? You bear with them easily. Um, you're not like the Bereans very much at all, who say, oh, what am I listening, what am I hearing here? Let's, let's check this with God's word. Yep. And I wonder if it has to do with the Hellenist Greek culture. Um, we know that Paul is preaching in Athens, for example, you read it in the book of Acts, and that uh, he acknowledges the fact that the Greeks are always interested in learning more wisdom. Um, so, so does that mean perhaps that these converted Hellenists, Greeks, uh, were by temperament, by education, by uh, how they were raised, brought up, uh, more open-minded as an attitude? Um, I don't know that, um, but uh, the problem is that it's one thing to be open-minded, it's another thing to be open-minded and have nothing to compare it with. That is your a priori, your uh, beliefs, your convictions, your, your presuppositions, <coughs> biblically. If you don't have that steady foundation and you're open-minded, you know, that's like sending a, 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 a covenant child to Boulder of Fort Collins, who is not uh, ready for that, who doesn't have an understanding of the biblical faith. And you might as well say you're throwing your child before the lions of this world. And many have been devoured, I can tell you that as well, nope. over the decades. So maybe they were open-minded that way. But from Paul's perspective, he says, you're in danger. You're doing exactly what Eve did. She listened. What's so wrong with listening? Well, there's nothing wrong with listening, but you have to know what your response ought to be. Amen. And that's why Brother Dickens' <clears throat> course on the apologetics <clears throat> is so important. So sign up. <laughs> <laughs> It takes three auditors to pay for one student, <coughs> I was told the other day. So we need a lot of auditors <laughs> to, uh, to make this work. Uh, but um, we need to know our faith. We need to understand what the foundations are of our faith to be able to defend ourselves. And we're not talking just so much about the devil talking to Eve directly. But today's uh, situation is that the cacophony of voices that 
that, that come from every direction through the, the world web, uh, the website, uh, the online website. Um, people are listening to this, they're listening to that, they're listening to that voice and that voice. And uh, if they don't know and are rooted in God's word, I'm afraid that there will be many who fall away from the faith, so to speak, <coughs> because they're not understanding how what they hear is not in agreement with the truth that is revealed to us in God's word. And so he says, um, you're about to, you are making the same mistake that Eve did. She was, it started all with her listening. And then of course the seeing. And then the considering of what was seen. And then the eating of the, uh, not the apple, um, but the eating of the fruit that she was uh, and Adam were told not to eat from, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But he says, um, someone comes in verse 4 and proclaims another Jesus. So he's not just talking about you know, things, uh, he's not being picky, um, you know, secondary issues. He says, for someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed. Or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, I don't know if this is the Holy Spirit or a spirit in the sense of, you know, um, yeah, you are of a different persuasion, you know. But, um, you know, if these people come and they have these, uh, these things to say to you uh, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, it says you put up with it readily enough. And the word there in the Greek is kalos, which means uh, something like happy, good, better, um, and, and it really uh, suggests to me, anyway, that they're not very discerning. They're, 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 they're saying, oh, this sounds good. And they don't even see the difference. Because this is often the challenge for us as Christians in this world. We are not just, you know, speaking to Marx, who comes to us and says, you know, what you believe is like opium, you know. Um, uh, um, you know, it's like a distraction to keep you from, you know, real concerns and considerations. But we're dealing with people who act like us, look like us, speak like us, talk like us, and then add something. And that makes it another gospel. That makes it another Christ. That makes it another spirit. If you have Christ plus something else. And um, that seems to be the danger to which the Corinthians expose themselves that they are losing the purity of their relationship with Christ himself when that truth is compromised by the Corinthians who are listening to them, uh, to these people, and who, by the way, are, of course, by their presence, um, not being um, sent by uh, the church in Jerusalem, shall we say, um, as, as, uh, uh, as representing the church, as being commissioned by the church. These just seem to be people who talk the, the, lang the language, uh, but they are, they are intruding upon the ministry there. They're creating division in the church, and they're doing that from Paul's point of view, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that they are, in fact, not just a variety of what Paul has been teaching them, but it is false. It is altogether to be rejected. And so they are in danger 
And uh, we thank the Lord that Paul felt compelled then to uh, speak uh, and write the way he did to, um, to the Corinthians there in the church uh, in Corinth. Um, the charges, um, and by the way, I should say that um, I could make this point anywhere basically in the sermon, but I'll do it now. What a great and great responsibility rests on the leadership of churches. Mm -hmm. um, you know, nobody is mentioned really in this text, um, but so I'm sort of having to glean it from the text to make this application and say, uh, implied in Paul's criticism of the Corinthians is the ones who are supposed to safeguard and protect the flock. Where are they? They are, they are negligent. Um, they are not the ones who are the watchmen on the tower of the church to see the enemy coming in. Um, and how important then it is for the church today that the leaders in the church, the elders in particular, uh, that they would know who it is that comes onto their pulpit, uh, beyond, behind their pulpit. Um, you can't just say, okay, you know, he has a nice uh, look, he has a nice appearance, uh, he has a, you know, he's a member of this denomination, whatever. But who is it that is going to take the responsibility to be the messenger of God, after all, to the people that are Christ's bride? pure in Christ and to be kept that way until Jesus comes again. Very important. Therefore, and this is reflected in the Reformed Church orders um, that we still have today, that those who bring God's word, it's not that we say that you have to have a certain degree, academically speaking. That just seems to be the side benefit of it. But they were simply saying, you need to be grounded in God's word. You need to know the languages. Uh, you need to know, you know the intricacies of what the Bible teaches on the various, what we call loci, you know, the different topics of theology. You need to know the history of doctrine. You need to know what went on in the early church, the medieval church, the modern era church, and today. Um, so that you have persons who bring the Word of God to the people of God today who aren't um, just pulling it out of their hat, uh, who are uh, coming with their own opinions and beliefs. But it has to always be God's pure Word that is preached and taught for the edification of you, the people of God. So, yeah, they bring these uh, charges uh, to Paul. I mentioned two. His apparent sort of First physical weakness, perhaps. Um, and then the other thing that is mentioned in our passage is that he does not take remuneration. Uh, he does not accept payment for his services. In the 5th century BC, there was this discussion uh, whether teachers, philosophers, uh, should um, be paid. And um, Plato and Aristotle uh, decided against that. How they got paid and, and how they lived, I don't know. But the sophists, um, these were just a group in that era among the teachers, philosophers, uh, who um, said, no, we, uh, 
know, we respect ourselves enough, and uh, we ought to be paid. And, uh, and so they, they, they started that, that practice uh, way back then. I don't know, by the time of Paul, that's 400 years beyond that point of discussion and debate then, uh, that these, these Greeks in the church bring this very thing up to, uh, to say that, um, if this is how I read it, if Paul respected himself as a teacher, he would accept payment. <coughs> Accepting payment uh, would uh, confirm the idea into the Greeks' minds that Paul takes himself seriously and that um, he is not just uh, anybody who shows up and uh, you know, asks uh, to be allowed to speak to them. Um, and, the, and the fact that Paul doesn't do that um, uh, reflects negatively on the credentials of Paul as a true teacher. Mm-hmm. And so when they come with their uh, abilities, we do signs and wonders, uh, we have more intimate knowledge of the revealed will of God than Paul does, um, uh, then, um, then, then their argument, um, which is all based on externals really, uh, but then that argument uh, would undermine the presence and ministry and integrity that Paul had until these people came. Paul, therefore, doesn't want to bring into the, into the picture the money factor because he says, you know, I have been taken care of by the Lord. The other brothers and sisters in Achaia and Macedonia are taking care of my needs. And because of this current conflict... I want, the, I want the air to be pure and clean, that it's only about one thing. Am I or am I not, who I claim to be, a commissioned apostle of Jesus Christ? And the evidence of that is you, the Corinthian church. And you are um, the, 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 the product of my hands, the work I have done, and I am... I am, I am looking to the day when I can present you to my master who called me to do this work as his betrothed. So, so he doesn't want that money factor to become involved. Not because he doesn't believe in that, because we know, he says in First Timothy somewhere, that uh, the worker is worthy of his hire. So he's not disagreeing with that. But in this particular situation, money ought not to be any consideration. It has to be about truth and these allegations, these charges that were leveled uh, against the Apostle Paul. Um, And so uh, that is the reason why he's so persistent in defending his ministry uh, before these folks there in uh, the church in Corinth. And so what does that lead to in the end, verses 12 through 15? Uh, He makes it abundantly plain what he thinks of these super apostles. Uh, And he uh, says... I'll just stick with uh, chapter 11 here. Um, and what I'm doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. He says, You're not. You're comparing apples and oranges, as it were. We are not, I'm not com- being compared with you. We could. Paul could say, I can, uh, I'm, I'm okay if you have Peter and John and the other uh, bona fide apostles uh, being compared with me. 
but that would be a comparison that is legitimate. But you think that you're of the same category. You're not. There's no way of you comparing yourselves with me. I am a true apostle of Jesus Christ. You're not. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. <coughs> and no wonder. For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants, Satan's servants, um, disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. That's the verdict, you might say. That's what Paul really thinks of these pretenders, these make-believers, these deceivers, these people who wear false masks. They are not who you think they are. Because they are giving you, presenting to you, a contrast between them and myself as though I were not legitimate and they are. And if that is true, then Paul's claim to being the apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ is blasphemous. And his claim that his ministry of establishing these churches all around that part of the world was all done in his own name and in his own strength. So he has to defend himself, not so much for himself, but for the glory of God, um, so that that will be pure, and um, these people will be exposed for who they really are. Stop listening to these people. It is as if he says that, reading between the lines. Don't be deceived so easily um, in terms of uh, what they present to you as being better, superior to what I have shared with you and taught you. They are, in fact, like Satan himself, angels of light, but they are, um, they are not. They are deceivers. They are sheep. Uh, um, they're wolves in sheep clothing. That's what they are. Um, I had a quote, a quote by Kelvin. Kelvin, you know, um, Kelvin, <laughs> Kelvin had many critics, and uh, I know I wrote it down, but where is it? But he's, he's, he's saying, um, you know, they, 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 they the critics, um, they present themselves very virtuously um, but what you fail to see unless you recognize it <coughs> is that behind that facade <coughs> of piety and conservatism sometimes too that you see a person who is of a different spirit sure. mm -hmm. and that is a thought that gives us pause and say how is it possible that when you have churches, in the history of the Christian church, you have churches that for a long time had a reputation of being um, bulwarks, bulwarks uh, for orthodoxy. Uh, one faithful servant leaves, retires, or goes to another church, 
and another person comes in and sometimes within a short, relatively short time, things just change and that footing is lost. How is that possible? It's possible because there are no elders <coughs> who are competent enough, who are mature enough, who are confident enough in God's word and who take that responsibility with such seriousness <coughs> that they say, we are the shepherds of these sheep and we love these sheep and we'll die for these sheep and we'll go where the sheep are in order to retrieve them and bring them back um, and not just let these things happen because the guy who comes in next is just really charismatic, you know, or talented in other ways, can communicate very uh, smoothly and so forth. How important it is that we have men who are trained in seminaries mm -hmm. to be those you can trust. And so you vet people, you check them out, not because you do it in a spirit of policing and suspicion and so forth, but it is our responsibility as leaders in the church in particular, but also you, the people of God, in a general sense. We have an individual and, and corporate responsibility for the well-being of each of us. We are each other's brother. We are each other's sister. And we need to be on the lookout for the welfare of the spiritual health of God's church and God's mm -hmm. people also in 2023. Mm -hmm. Let's pray. Mm -hmm. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for, again, another passage that we were privileged to open today. Will you teach us and continue to teach us, dear Lord, through your word and through the direction and guidance of your Holy Spirit. Give us this year insight into your word deepen our faith and trust in you and also give us that wisdom we need to see the difference uh, sometimes it feels like these shades of difference that we have to uh, pick apart in order to see the difference but help us lord to recognize the voice of truth your voice lord jesus and recognize how it is different from those who are the mere pretenders in this world Heavenly Father, we pray now, take us, um, accept from us our worship. We pray that you will give us grace and strength to live for you this week. For this we ask in Jesus' name, amen. amen.